Disrupted Futures. I'm Hugh Seaton. Today I'm here with Brian Saab, co-founder and CEO of Unearth Technologies. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Hugh. It's great to be here. So let's start with the kind of the, the ground. Oh my gosh, I just said that. <laughs> what does Unearth do? Yeah, great question. We are a mobile GIS and work management platform that targets the built world. And so that's kind of a fancy way of saying that we help the teams that put on hard hats and jump in trucks and go work on all of the physical stuff that we rely on. We help them do their job day in and day out. We typically focus on large critical infrastructure. So that can be power utilities, that can be departments of transportation, things like that. And we help both on the construction side, so like the big capital projects, as well as all of the ongoing inspection and maintenance that occurs every day just to keep our critical infrastructure running, which then powers and maintains our society. And what specifically are you helping with? GIS implies that location is a big part of it, but talk to me a little bit about how you're helping folks. Yeah, so we we sort of made our way to GIS. You know, I'll be honest, my grandfather started a construction company years ago. My father took over that company and still runs it today. So I grew up in the construction industry. When I started to think about how I might be able to help that industry based on the insights that I had, one of the first things I was thinking about was quite frankly just maps. I was, you know, maps are something that everybody understands. They're sort of immediately approachable and they really set context for anything that you might be doing in a geographic area. Maps are paramount to GIS, but GIS is really this very rich domain, you know, geographic information systems, if you will. That's about analysis and engineering and goes well beyond maps. But where we started was if we could just give a map to those individuals that are out working in our environment, they probably move faster and do a better job with less headaches, less mistakes, et cetera. So we, we focused initially on big horizontal construction scenarios, so building roads and bridges and that sort of thing. What we found was that one, our thesis was true, that by setting that sort of visual context, that map of the work that's happening, things happen better and faster. But what we also discovered was that this is actually a problem that these large critical infrastructure managers and owners have been trying to solve for a long time. Interestingly enough, they've been trying to blend a number of software domains over time that we just kind of happened to, to fix. And what I mean by that is they have big enterprise resource planning systems to manage their teams and their budgets and their calendars and, and that sort of thing. They have big asset management systems to manage all of the assets, the physical things that they own and manage, be it power lines or you know, sewer lines or roads or what have you. And they have GIS. They have these teams of people that are doing this really complex analysis of the geography that their assets exist in. But those are separate systems. And when you look at today's world, particularly in the face of remote work, when you think about bringing digital uh, capability out into the field, as opposed to a bunch of paper that sort of exists today, you have to bring those three domains together, all your people and budgets, all of your assets, and all of your geographic insights. And we had kind of solved that already for construction. We had started with this base of maps. We allowed you to bring in all of your assets and people and work that you're doing. And we discovered that we had kind of fixed something that these large organizations have been trying to fix for a long time. So that's kind of our magic is that we mix these various data sets together and we make it all available when a person is out in the field working on a power line or popping open a manhole cover or what have you. That's amazing. You know, it's funny, as you started talking about just giving people maps, 
in an earlier part of my life, I worked in, in advertising and marketing. And it's amazing what showing people the last couple turns of a map does for things like retail and, and other things. Like just showing somebody how easy it is to go from here to here. And by the way, here's where you are can actually really affect how much people are confident in, in what they're doing. And I would imagine that what you're doing, it's not quite the same, but it has the same context that you're, you're helping people understand where they are and the context that they're operating in. That's got to make things a lot faster and more efficient. Oh, no doubt. I mean, it's, you know, I think what's important to recognize is that some of our customers, the territory that they manage and the assets that are inside that territory it can be tens of thousands of miles. You know, our, our utility customers, we're talking 50, 60, 70,000 miles of wire or pipe. And so understanding where you are relative to those assets or where you need to be to get to the specific asset that you're working on, it's absolutely paramount. And for many years, this was all managed with paper. So someone unrolling a map or a blueprint on the hood of a truck and trying to figure out where they were. And they might be standing in the middle of a, of a river area. They might be standing in the mountains, in the forest. They might be standing out in the middle of the desert where everything looks exactly the same. And so being able to give them instant awareness of not only where they are, but their geographic surroundings and the thing they need to go do. What is their job in that moment? What asset do they need to go work on? The productivity improvements are, are just off the chart. You know, a couple of years ago, there was during the summer, there was a big windstorm in Connecticut. I was still living there at the time. And it knocked power out for six days, which for a state the size of Connecticut says a lot. It's a pretty small physical place. But they sure. had a thousand crews at one point. They obviously were borrowing crews from neighboring states, but you know, it, would, it was at a point where within a mile, there might be three points where, where the, the, the lines had gone down because a tree had, had fallen over or a branch or something. So, it's, you know, you're talking about what you're saying. I'm imagining the utter nightmare they must have had to deal with because you're talking density there. You're talking curvy roads. You're talking about ridges and this and that. The opposite of a desert, right? It's just too much. And, you know, did we get that one done over there? I don't know. Like, oh, yeah, I think we got that one done. I don't know. It's the one that's next to a tree. They're all next to a tree. Yeah. So I can imagine that, that what you guys do would just really help with that at one end of a spectrum of, of complexity and difficulty. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the truth is the, the people that we serve, you know, these are our experts in their job. And let's, let's take the example of a utility and, and particularly in an emergency response. These people really know what they're doing. But being able to cascade the information that they may have when they're standing under a broken power line, or they may be facing down a street that has no power and they have to figure out where that circuit is broken. That's always been a real challenge. And if you look at classically how emergency response was handled, you know, typically there was some sort of central mobile headquarters. A lot of information was being sort of written on a big whiteboard somewhere. And then you were just trying to cascade information as quickly as possible via radio. And so you're, you know, once you broadcast on the radio, it's gone, right? It's committed to someone's memory, but that's it. With our system and systems like ours, all the information is available via mobile devices. Our system works online and offline. So to the extent that even cell connectivity is down for a moment, they can still use our system. But they can also be documenting what they're seeing. They can take photographs. They can make notations on specific circuits or other sort of critical infrastructure that's damaged. They can make recommendations as to what work needs to be done. And then all of that can be accrued back to the central decision makers, wherever they may be, and then shared as updated work assignments. And suddenly those text messages and those notifications are all going out. So 
everything just starts to happen a lot faster, which only benefits those people that are already experts. You know, they already know what they need to do. They're just armed with the information they need to have. You know, just one sort of funny note about emergency response is that uh, our system goes beyond just managing the grid or the power lines or the water utility or what have you. Oftentimes our customers will also list, hey, here's your hotel room for the night. You know, you'd mentioned that there's a lot of gathering of resources during an emergency response. They're pulling in crews from other neighboring states. Well, those people have to stay and eat somewhere. And our software is used to not only tell them, hey, here's the power line you need to go work on, but here's that hotel you're staying tonight and here's where you're gonna grab your next meal. It just makes the whole, the whole engine run. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So when you're barely able to move and you need to find a place to crash, here's where you go. That's right. How, how do you guys work with the varying quality of inputs that are definitely out there? And that's just the reality of every industry, but it's certainly true in, in construction and some of the other you know, utilities and so on, that often things are paper, often things are you know, in very different places. How do you guys work to integrate that and, and line it all up? Yeah, that's a great question. And it, it really is a challenge. We oftentimes will hear from our customers that even the data they already have, the digital data, be it GIS or map-based information or maybe asset information, they don't necessarily trust that themselves because they know that it might be a little bit outdated. Our system is designed to be very flexible with these various data types. We can bring it into our software and make it available on mobile devices, but it is able to be viewed on or off as needed. And so what we oftentimes see is that will bring in that historical information and the users of the software will kind of take it with a grain of salt. Conversely, the data that's captured using our software, be it the location of a transformer or the location of an underground gas line that is maybe at risk of rupture or whatever that might be, what we find is there's a lot of trust in the information that's captured in our system. And that is because we're capturing the location of where that information was captured. We're capturing you know, who it was that is gathering that information. And so you have a, a breadcrumb trail. You have a history of all of the various pieces of information related to that asset or the work that's being done. And it really bolsters confidence the next time someone comes along, because all of this is iterative. You, know, you never just work on a power line or a gas line or a water line or a road one time. You're going to work on it you're going to repair it, you're going to inspect it, and then you're going to move on to your next job. But that particular asset will be visited again. Someone is going to come along again. And if they have confidence that the last time someone was there, they did a good job of capturing information, and then they have that at their fingertips, it really speeds up their work because they can start, they can essentially rely on that prior history and move forward. That's amazing. And this idea of iterative, you know, it's funny, these things are meant to last for 50 to 100 years. So you can imagine you're, you're setting someone up for, for success when they, they've got good data when they get out there. Speaking of which, what do you put in the hands of the field person? How does that translate? Because some of this stuff doesn't work well when it's tiny, right? Or is that is that some of what you solved? No, you're right. You know, mobile devices are great. And quite frankly, everybody has them now, either a smartphone or a tablet. But, but there are limitations, right? You know, one of the things that we've intentionally focused on beyond just the fact that we've sort of built our platform around maps is we have a huge appreciation for 3D data, 3D models, 3D environments, that sort of thing. And our system can handle 3D data but we've really limited the visualization of that 3D data on the mobile device. And, and the reason for that is pretty simple, is that it's just hard to visualize and it, it can be a challenge 
particularly when you're trying to do some work out in the field and you're trying to spin that 3D model around or it gets turned upside down or whatever. So we've really focused on the user experience, particularly on the mobile device, to ensure that it's usable by those individuals that are out there. You know, there might be sunlight glare, they might be wearing gloves. You know, we've thought a lot about the user experience just to make sure that um, the information that's being surfaced to them when they're out in the field versus back in the office is appropriate and useful. You know, back in the office, all the data is available and you can, you can do whatever you want with it. But in the field, we, we try to be very thoughtful. And how much latitude do the field folks have to make adjustments to where things really are? Does that come up that, that, cause you're talking about massive areas and sometimes someone has, you know, someone took a survey of it, you know, during the civil war, how often do you find that that's necessary or is it not really a thing? Oh, it's definitely a thing, and it's becoming more and more of a thing over time. You know, we hear terms like field engineering or field design, which is really the extension of what was classically engineering back in the office and then sort of operational execution out in the field. But now we're really starting to see design or collaborative design happening out in the field as well. And so, you know, absolutely being able to update or delineate exactly where the assets in question are is something that's happening in the field. Our software has its own GPS capabilities off of the device itself, be it say an iPhone or an Android phone or something like that. We also integrate with high precision RTK GPS devices. So we're giving a lot of latitude to just our customers in general on what is the specificity that they want to capture that location. And then we also have a very rich rules and, and roles and permissions capability within our software. So you know, some of our customers, they want to keep their, let's call it engineered models separate from any updates that might be coming from the field. And so that engineered model might be read-only on the device, and then the user in the field can be making their own notations, and those are separate. Other customers are comfortable letting their users actually update the engineered models, and so they're not read-only. They can actually edit and change those. And that's typically a business-by-business -business decision, but the capability is there. And regardless, the information is being captured in the field, and then that's making its way back into the parent organization. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, people invest a ton in this engineered side of it. The last thing you need is somebody, you know, thinking they're helping, but really not helping. Yeah, it sort of depends on, on the scenario and the expertise. You know, again, many of these large asset owners, sometimes they're using their own team members to do some of the work. Sometimes they're bringing in outside help. And so there are times where it's not even an expertise question. It's more of a risk and compliance question. It's like, look, if we brought in a third-party contractor, yes, they're experts. We know they're experts, but we need to make sure that we're capturing their data separate from our data just for compliance reasons. That makes sense. So when customers have adopted your software and they're using it, what are the ahas? What are the moments where they say, oh my God, how did I ever live without this? Because it sounds like you get some. Oh, all the time. I mean, one of the first things we always get is just being able to show all of that mixed data on a single screen. You know, many of our customers are operating in what are particularly sort of ad hoc environments is the best way to put it. They've sort of stitched their tool sets together into a workflow but it means they're hopping from application to application. So that at one point they might be in SAP and they're managing their budgets and their people. Then they'll jump over to say IBM Maximo and they're doing their sort of asset reviews. And then they'll switch over to Esri or some other GIS system and they're looking at their geographic information. And then they have to figure out how to get all that out into the field. 
So with our system, when we can bring in all of their historical asset information, all of their GIS information, and, and then their people and budget and sort of job package information, and we can show it all in one screen, the eyes sort of pop out of their head because that's just a huge productivity improvement. And that's just for the people in the office. We haven't even shown them the mobile device, which allows them to sort of say, okay, well, of all of our data, let's just put a, a restricted sort of subset of that data on this mobile device and make it available to the teams out into the field. You know, and then that's the sort of second aha moment is when the teams in the field are working on it. And then it just seamlessly goes into offline mode because they've they haven't maybe lost connectivity, but they have low connectivity. I mean, we all kind of know there's nothing worse than one bar. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. So, you know, so the system is constantly sniffing, going like, hey, you know, how connected am I? And if I'm in a low connection or zero connection state, I'm just going to flip to offline mode. Nothing changes for you, the user. You're still working. You're gathering information. All the data you had on the device is still there available to you. And then it, it will you know, identify when it's in a connected state again, that's, that's strong, either, you know, lots of bars or say Wi-Fi or something like that. And then it starts to resynchronize itself. So it's, we kind of have our aha moments, both for the office and in the field. Yeah. I love it. And let me ask you the converse question, which is when do people say, oh my gosh, this is just someone help me find a solution. What is, what is the moment where, you know, the, the pain points have gotten to a point where they, they want to figure something out? Is it, I mean, some of the th points you mentioned is that, you know, they're often cobbling together solutions from all over the place. I would imagine some of the solutions aren't really made for horizontal and, and really big spaces as opposed to commercial. But what's the pain that they're feeling when they when they come to you or when you reach them and they're like, thank God you're here? Yeah, well, I, you know, I think we all know that digital transformation is sort of happening across the board. When you look at the built environment or say the construction sector more specifically, vertical construction has had a lot of innovation over the years, both at sort of the engineering design level, but now even at sort of building management and building operations. Um, but when we think about horizontal construction or these big distributed scenarios, that innovation is only now sort of landing in those markets. And, and again, part of it is the fact that, you know, a building, when you're doing that kind of work, it's like a big stack of pancakes, right? It's, it's all contained in one area and every floor kind of shares systems with other floors. You know, they have, they have electrical, they have plumbing, they have concrete, they have sheetrock, they have all those things, but it's all contained in that one space. If you're a utility and you're managing 10,000 miles of wire, nothing is in one place. And so what we see overwhelmingly still is a bunch of paper. There's a lot of paper floating around, be it paper maps or even lists of work that need to be addressed for any particular day. And that paper just slows everything down and is prone to errors. You know, we hear stories, horror stories really of, lost paper, paper that, you know, was filled out completely in terms of the inspections over a huge territory, everything was marked up. And then for one reason or another, it got destroyed. A cup of coffee spilled on it. It blew out of the truck, what have you. All of that work is effectively lost because you can't prove that you inspected those power lines. You have to. And so now you got to go back and do it again. So, you know, we think about replacing paper as the starting point and our customers agree if they could get rid of paper and have a digital workflow that's absolutely the pain they're trying to solve how interesting and you've talked about a couple of uh, different types of customer utilities being one large infrastructure projects being another where do you find the people grab it the, the quickest is it is it when geography is an incredibly big deal because you're talking about states or components of states 
Or is it more in the, the kind of shorter term, but we're building a bridge. It's not that short term, but it's relatively short term. Is there, is there a difference between the two? And is there a difference in the value that you, you're, you're providing to those two? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, fundamentally, a lot of this work shares a lot of similar challenges, right? You, you have a workforce that's highly mobile. You have a workforce that doesn't quite know what they're going to encounter once they get out to wherever they're working on. And that can be true whether you're building a bridge or you're working on underground gas lines or, or what have you. Certainly owners of those assets, they face a compliance risk. You know, that they carry the risk of that road working properly or the electric grid working properly or whatever. And so they will take a very serious look at data and making sure that they're capturing information in an appropriate manner, that they can prove that work was done correctly. And that's not only for their own benefit of just ongoing operations, but it also sort of really minimizes their risk. When it comes to contractors, if you will, the service organizations that are here to serve your owners, everything is about productivity. Everything is about moving fast. You know, they, they, they get paid by the work that they complete. And so the faster they can do their job, the more money they make. I mean, it's really just that simple. So, you know, there's there's different motivating factors depending on the type of customer we're working on, whether it be an owner or a contractor. But ultimately, by introducing a digital solution, particularly one that, you know, again, sort of back to this map-based context, just sort of helps everyone work more productively and, and more efficiently, they're on board, whether it serves their sort of producti productivity desires or their compliance desires. Yeah, I love that. So what does it take to onboard with you? So now that we've talked about value, we've talked about what you do, what's the typical onboarding process that someone has to go through to begin getting value? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, it's, it's funny. We, we've gone on a journey ourselves as a, as a company. So when we originally designed the system, we sort of came with software subscription mentality, meaning that we felt like someone should show up to our website, be able to fill out a form and be in the product in five minutes. And that, that's always... Uh, been part of our DNA dating back to the very beginnings of the company. Obviously, working with a large utility or departments of transportation or something like that, these are not organizations that just jump into software in five minutes, even though the capability is, is available to them. But the backdrop to all of that is our what we refer to as codeless customization. It's our ability to modify our software to align to the data and workflows of the customers that we're operating in. So We've taken advantage of our own codeless customization by pre-configuring it to various scenarios. So we have some configurations that are tied to horizontal construction. So back to your example of building bridges or roads, we have a configuration for that. If you're an electric utility, we have a configuration for that. We even have an emergency response configuration. So we've learned enough about these various scenarios that we've pre-configured our software for those instances, which really helps jumpstart a new customer because they're already sort of well on their way to taking advantage of our software. But all of it is customizable. So to the extent that you want to use our emergency response configuration, that's great. But you have your own approach to emergencies, be it hurricane season or earthquakes or what have you, will then further configure that for your needs. And that can be everything from bringing in new data types that your company manages to creating new data elements that your field teams need to capture. We can configure all of that and make that available. So there's a very fast path to get on our platform. And then below the surface, there's a lot of configuration that's available should you need it. Yeah, that's absolutely best in class, right? Is they can get value almost immediately because out of the box, it does most of what they want. But then when they get comfortable with it, they can say, hang on, we want to tweak this and that. And I love your, your was it codeless customization? 
Yeah, that's right. That's how we refer to it. We, we've gone round and round on names. I'm thrilled that you like that one. Yeah, well, I think it speaks right to the fact that you don't have to hire anybody to, to, to tweak it. You can learn it yourself you know, as easy as anything else, which I think is great. Because ultimately, every, every, every construction team, every construction project is its own you know, unique snowflake, even if it shares a lot of the same angles and so on. It's, it's good to be able to make it work the way you're used to working as opposed to needing to change how you work for software, which, you know, you can't avoid that to some degree, but minimizing it, I think, makes people comfortable and makes them able to use the software that much faster. Yeah, no question. I mean, you really kind of hit the nail on the head. Every one of these organizations has developed their own workflows over years, even decades. And every one of these projects is generally bespoke for some reason, right? You know, like building a bridge is building a bridge, building a road is building a road, but every one of them is unique. The team that's on it is unique. The needs of that environment are unique. And, and we learned that. We learned that we had to build a flexible system so that that uniqueness could be captured and expressed in our software. You know, I, I'll admit that when we first started the company, we kind of thought, oh, we know how to build this software and we know what the sort of right user experience is and what information you need to capture. And our original V1 software was great, but it was pretty monolithic. There was just a right way to use it. That's how that software worked. Whereas our V2 was a big shift. And that's when we introduced our codeless customization because we just learned the lesson that our software has to be flexible. I think that's fantastic. Well, where do you see this going in the future? Oh, wow. Well, there's a big push for continued digital transformation across the built environment. You know, I mean, as just consumers and citizens ourselves, we all want a more resilient infrastructure for our cities and our municipalities. We all expect sort of instant information. And I think that's just sort of being part of internet culture. We all kind of want to know things now. So I think what we're going to continue to see is just a furthering of capturing our critical infrastructure via digital twins. We're just going to start to really have these rich interactive models that represent all of the built environment around us. And what that means is that we're going to start to really manage our critical infrastructure in a really finite sense. So where you used to have to dial 811 or some equivalent to find your gas lines, you know, someday all of those are going to be mapped in a very precise way. And you're going to know exactly where all of that spaghetti lines of water and gas under your front yard, you'll know exactly where that is. The work that's happening around grid resiliency and sort of vegetation management and making sure that our grids are able to withstand climate change and all of the other impacts all of that is going to be greatly accelerated by this oncoming digital transformation. And all of that is really just powered by the fact that we have really robust mobile computing today. We have a bunch of cloud computing today. And all of that is finally making its way into the hands of the people that are out working on our, our critical infrastructure day in and day out. That's so cool. I love how you tied together a bunch of different things that we're seeing coming or at least being developed. And ultimately, it's it's entrepreneurs like you that that have a vision that take it, that bring new things into the market, and then you know owners hopefully start to integrate and put pressure for people to pull them together into these bigger systems. Super exciting. Well, the last thing I'd ask is how can people get in touch with you? So obviously in the show notes we'll have some links. What's the best way to reach you? Oh well, we encourage everyone to always check out our website, and in particular when it comes to sort of our thought leadership or just our perspective on everything related to the built environment. We have an amazing blog. We'd love for folks to stop by, check it out. If you like it, you can subscribe. And that way you can kind of stay current on all the updates. It's the best way to reach us. 
Fantastic. And it's unearthlabs.com in case people are only listening. We will put that in the show notes. Well, hey, Brian, this has been great. I learned a lot about how horizontal works and how you guys are serving it. So thanks for being on the podcast. Hugh, it's great to be here. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.